you will find uh, your Bible, find your place with me in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Last week, uh, Stephen McCurdy, one of our men, um, preached a message encouraging us to show kindness, to show compassion like Jesus shows compassion. We read from Matthew 9 about how Jesus saw the crowd and had compassion on them. Um, Jesus, according to what Stephen was telling us last week, he, he sees, but then he looks beneath uh, the surface. And he looks deep into the problem, he looks deep into their hearts, and he feels compassion. As he was preaching last week, and I was just meditating on that, I wanted to pick up kind of where he left off. Um, the last several weeks we've been doing a series called Love Like Jesus, and Stephen sort of was putting a bookend on that message. We, we talked about how... Um, Jesus forgives sinners from the cross. His shed blood, He forgives sin. And just like Him, we should also extend forgiveness to others. Um, We talked about how Jesus serves. He's the Savior who came not to be served, but to serve. And uh, we talked about how He washed feet. Uh, Then a few weeks ago, we, we looked at how Jesus is a friend of sinners. How He even recruited a tax collector to be one of His disciples. And uh, he, he brought in sinners. And aren't you thankful because he's brought us in, right? I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. And if you've encountered the grace of Jesus Christ, you've been brought in because he's a friend to sinners. Well, so uh, as we looked at that, sort of the, the push behind those messages was we see how Jesus loves. So we ought to love like Jesus, And there's ways that we can follow his example. We can do some of the things that, that he does. But I wonder if um, we feel what he felt. When we look at Matthew 9, the text he even preached last week, what you see is that he, he saw the crowd and he had a feeling of compassion or love. It wasn't just that he did some things. It's that from the inside out, there's a feeling that he had. Like that... The inside compulsion of love is what drove what he did. So I want to talk about that today. Uh, There was a a lawyer that came to Jesus and asked him, what's the most important thing I can do with my life? He phrased it this way. I know all the commands of what to do, but which of the commands is the greatest command? And Jesus answered that. He didn't say, well, you you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this. Instead, he started by saying, this is the greatest command, love. Not do certain things, but feel a certain way. Be moved by from within to without. And I don't know if that rubs you, but it ought to, because how do you command an emotion? Um, When I was a kid, I I was, uh, I'm going to go all the way back to like grade school, um, I was kind of a, I don't know what you call that, girl crazy? I don't know what you call it. But I was all about little girls, right? And uh, I remember one little girl, she was cute, and we had, we had held hands on the playground or whatever. And uh, you know how, as a kid, you know how you communicate love, right? Do you love me? Check yes or no, right? And I put little boxes there, and I slid her a note. I probably had somebody take it to her. And I was like, nervous, what's she going to say? Well, the note gets passed back and it's checked no. And I was like, what? <laughs> and so on the playground that day, we had a conversation. And I was like, what do you mean no? I was shocked, you know. We'd, we'd been talking and playing and holding hands and stuff. She says, no. I said, what do you mean you don't love me? 
And here's what she said. I can't control how I feel. (laughs) So here's the deal. God is telling us to love. And the, the reality is we don't have a lot of control over how we feel, do we? Something about that little grade school affection is true. I mean, something about it is true. Can you really control how you feel? You know, Stephen was telling us we've got a lot of serving opportunities coming up. We've got an opportunity in August that I'm just so excited about. We're going to partner with churches all around this county and just be a blessing to our friends at Aniston High School. But what I don't want to do is go do a bunch of activities, pat ourselves on the back, feel better about something we've done apart from love. I want it to be love that motivates all of our activities. We're motivated by love. Jesus said the greatest commandment is that you love God and love your neighbor. And he knew that out of that love, all these actions, all these things that we should do are going to come out of that love. Like he knew that was going to happen. So he says the greatest command is love. So here's the question I'm driving us towards. Do you truly love your neighbor? Do you truly love your neighbor? Galatians 5, why don't you stand with me? Just going to read a couple of verses and then... We'll go back and walk our way through the text. The reason we stand to read the scriptures is because we want to stand in honor of God's word. When you see Jesus teaching the Bible, that's the way he did it. And that's the way uh, they did it. They stood to honor the words of God. So this is the most important thing we'll say. Then you can be seated and, and we'll, we'll talk through sort of some of our thoughts about this word. But honoring the word of God. So Galatians 5, I want you to read with me just verses 13 and 14. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Listen to this. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Father, um, as we get to the heart of the matter this morning, Lord, would you help us to um, deal with what's inside of us, what's truly deep within, and not just look at the surface of what we do, but look at beneath the surface of why we do what we do. God, expose us for who we are and help us to come to you for grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So our, our objective today, we're actually going to walk through most of chapter 5, but the verses we just read are um, sort of the central uh, centerpiece of the text. So Galatians uh, is a great little book. If, you, if you've never really read and studied your way through it, I encourage you to do that. This section of Galatians, what the Apostle Paul is saying to um, the people is he's telling them, hey, you came to faith in Christ by grace. You came knowing that it's by grace that you're saved. Like you can't earn your salvation. You can't earn a relationship with God. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It's by grace. Well, then he's he's correcting. He's saying, so you came to salvation by God, but now you're trying to live out the Christian life by your own works, by your own merit. You're trying to earn this right standing with God in how you live now. 
You're doing things to try to add to the gospel. In essence, what Paul is saying is the equation you've worked up for yourself is not right. It's not Jesus plus circumcision. It's not Jesus plus your good deeds. It's not Jesus plus doing kind things for others. It's just Jesus. It's just grace. And so he's saying to them right at the outset of this chapter that we are free in Christ. If you're taking notes, that's your, that's your first point. We're free in Christ. I want us to look at this. Uh, we're going to walk through this, this chapter together. Right here in verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Let's talk about this for a second. Circumcision, um, we, we probably all know what that is, but I don't know if we know what the significance is. Uh, so Paul's writing this because the people um, he's writing to are, are, are considering circumcision, a, a mark in the flesh, a cutting away of some skin, because it's in the Old Testament, that's the people of God. The men of the people of God would be circumcised to signify their relationship to God and their relationship to God's people. Like I'm an Israelite because I, I've been, and I can show you, I'm, I've been circumcised. This marking has happened in my flesh. I belong to God and I belong to God's people. Well, in the New Testament, it doesn't work that way. When Jesus came, he, he, he opened the floodgates for all peoples to come to Christ. And circumcision is no longer a mark. Instead, in the New Testament, it's baptism that, that displays our relationship to God and, and our relationship to God's people. It's not, not circumcision in the flesh. And what Paul's saying here is, he's saying, if you, if you think that your circumcision is going to make a difference, it's, it's not. What you're doing is you're adding to grace. And there's no adding to grace. It's just grace. So he starts out by saying, if, if, you, if you choose this path of doing good works, you're actually taking on a yoke of slavery. But in Christ, we're called to be free. That's how he begun the chapter, right? For freedom, Christ has set us free. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So here's the thing. Uh, religion will not save anyone. Only grace. So it's not a set of things that you do or don't do that are going to put you in right standing with God. It's just the grace of Jesus Christ. Paul's talking about being freed from the yoke of slavery to the law. Jesus Christ will not share His glory in rescuing you with your good works. He just won't do it. We know Ephesians 2 teaches that we're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, lest anyone should boast. So there's no boasting in your salvation because it's all grace. We are free in Christ. So what he does walk us through here, though, is he tells us what God does want 
from us. Look at verses 5 and 6 in particular. He says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. I want to see if you, if you um, caught the three words there that are significant. It's the three words that we've sort of built who we want to be. Our identity as a church, it's, it's on, the, um, on a sign in, the, in our cafe area. Um, Sarah, if you've got that, you can put it on the screen here. It's these three words. Hope, faith, and love. Did you see those in the text? We keep running across these as we just read through the Scriptures together. But here they are again. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. So here here are three things that God does want. Now these are not a law, but these are what God does want in us to become part of who we are. And the way we say it here at Mountain View Church is that we want to be a people who rest in hope. And here's what we mean by that. We rest. That means we don't earn our hope. There's nothing I'm doing today that's going to give me hope for eternity. I'm resting in a hope that has been purchased for me in the gospel. That is, Jesus has done everything necessary, right? Now, you guys are not awake. Jesus has done everything necessary, right? He has done everything we need to be saved. He's done it all. When Jesus died on the cross, He said, it is finished. He didn't say, I've done my part. Now you do yours. He said, it is finished. It's all done. And so we rest in the hope of Christ. That's the gospel. It's good news. It's good news. Secondly, we walk in faith. Now faith is believing. It's trusting. It's, it's seeing what you don't see. It's, a confidence that what God said is true. It's trusting and following Jesus. Our faith changes the way we live. If you say you have faith, but you're the same person that you had before you had faith, the same person you were before you had faith, you're lying. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to us. You will change if you truly believe this gospel. It changes you. So we walk in faith. Notice we we rest in hope. There's nothing we do there. But our faith, we walk it out. We live it out. You'll notice in the text it says, but only faith working through love. That last phrase there in verse 6 is so significant. Our faith does things. James says it this way. You say you have faith, but if you don't have works, mm, faith without works is what? Dead. Real faith is does things. Real faith changes you and it change, you change uh, things in your world, right? So real faith impacts the decisions we make, the risks we take, the, the priorities we have. It impacts how we spend our time, our money, our resources. It impacts everything. It's real faith will go to Haiti. Real faith will send money so somebody else can go to Haiti. That's what faith does. It helps you reallocate your resources in your life to demonstrate that you have the same priorities as your Creator. That's faith. And then thirdly, 
pursuing in love. We see that right here in the text. But only faith working through love. Working through love. And that's where we're spending the bulk of our time. But basically, when we say pursuing in love at Mountain View, what we're talking about is we want to be a people who are pursuing God. We love God and we pursue Him. And we want to be a people who pursue our neighbors and the nations with the gospel. So that's basically the great commandment, right? Jesus said, love the Lord your God completely and love your neighbor as yourself. So that's who we want to be. Not necessarily who we are today, but it's who we want to be. We're trying, we're striving to rest in hope, walk in faith, and pursue in love. All right. Um, So Galatians 5, 13, and 14 that we read a moment ago. Look at those again. This is going to give us some specifics about loving one another, serving one another, and specifically loving our neighbor. He says, you were called to freedom. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. What word? Love. The whole law, all of the law is fulfilled in one word. Love. This is where we're going to spend our time today. What we're talking about is getting to the heart of the matter, like getting to the bottom. I don't want to just talk about what we do. Like Russ stood up here and talked about giving, and he said, you know, we're not trying to guilt anybody into giving. It's not about, get, not about guilt. <laughs> that little church sign, um, give God what's right, not what's left. That's hilarious. Um, it's not about guilt. We want to not talk about what to do, but why we do what we do. We want to get to the bottom of it. So our serving our neighbors, this passage says, um, love one another, serve one another, love your neighbor as yourself. Our serving our neighbors must come from love for them. Love for our neighbors, which comes from love for God. Which comes from receiving love from God. I want you to follow that, okay? Because this is the, what, I'm, what I'm calling a love chain. I don't know if I put that in your... Yeah, it's in point two. So we'll, we'll get there in a second. But um, follow this connection, all right? We're backtracking. We want to try to love people. We want to love them. Not just do good things for them, but from our hearts genuinely have compassion and care and love people. Genuinely loving people. How is that possible? First, we love God. That's why Russ said, don't give more money. Spend more time with God. Because that connection is going to change this, this interaction. Does that make sense? It's not just about outward works. It's about inward love. So our love for others must have love for God The only way that happens, 1 John 4.19 says, we love because He first loved us. The only way this love happens is if we've actually received this love. So we're talking about the difference between religion, right? Religion says, do these things and be right with God. That's what religion says. If you do this, you'll be accepted by God. 
grace and the gospel says you're accepted by God. Now do these things. Now love this way. So what we're saying is that the difference is doing right to be right versus being loved to give love. That makes sense? All right. So point number two is this. We are free to love. We are free to love. I'm emphasizing this word free because it's in the text. The apostle writes talking about the law in terms of slavery. That's what he says in in verse 1. He says, "Don't, don't submit yourself again to a yoke of slavery. Don't deceive yourself to think that that doing right things is going to make you right with God. That's slavery. The the phrasing he uses in verse 1 and again in verse 3, he says, anyone who accepts circumcision, thinking that doing some activity is going to make him right with God, is obligating himself to keep the whole law. That is, that's slavery. So Paul says, in Christ... You've been set free. And specifically, we are free to love. So Paul says in chapter 5, verse 13, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Through love, serve one another. So this is an interesting twist. It's an interesting spin on things. Here's what Paul says. He's saying, you're free from the law, but now you're free to the law of love. That makes sense? Because Jesus gave us a new commandment, right? John 13, um, uh, well, Deuteronomy, he's quoting, but Matthew 22, he says, this is a new commandment I'm giving you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. And then Matthew 22, he says, the greatest commandment is love God and love your neighbors. These are commandments, not suggestions. It's a command. So he says, we are free to love. It's an interesting spin on things. Before, we were enslaved to a law that we could not keep. Are you with me? Before, we were enslaved to a law that we could never keep. We could never add up all of our good deeds and be right before God. It's not possible. Before, we were enslaved to that law. Paul says, don't submit yourself to that slavery. But now, we've been set free to a new and great commandment. That we are equipped to do by the Spirit of God put in us. That's where Paul's going in this chapter. He's going to say the fruit of the Spirit is, number one, what? Love, joy, peace, patience. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh, and there's a whole different list, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. So the whole law is fulfilled in one word, and that word is love. Let's talk about that love chain for just a minute. Um, Like we said earlier, um, the only way we can truly love others is we must love God fully. If we love others, it's because we love God. Now, why do we love God? First John says we love God because God first loved us. It's the only reason I have any affection for God. I had no interest in God. None. Apart from Him loving me, I don't want to have anything to do with Him. Does anybody resonate with that? Can anybody look back at your life before Christ and go, you know what, I didn't want to have anything to do with God. I felt like He was just trying to tell me what to do with my life. I didn't want Him. But now, I do want Him. 
Why? Because he loves me. And he loves you. He's the initiator of love. So I want to ask you, I want to ask us, what do you want? What Paul's getting down to, we haven't read this part yet, but I want us to look at it. Look at verse 16. Take your Bible a second. Verse 16 and 17. I want you to see if you notice the repeated word in here. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, your translation may say lusts, um, but it's not the, not the best translation of that word because our, our connotation of the word lust is that it's always negative. It's always sort of this impure affection, and that's not necessarily the connotation. This, this same word is used several times in the Scriptures for a positive sense. Paul actually says to the Thessalonians, he says, I, I desire to be with you. That's positive. Jesus says in Luke 22 to his disciples, right before they're having the last Lord's Supper, he says, how I have desired to have this meal with you. That's a positive. It's not a negative. So when your scripture translates it lust, don't let it twist your mind to think that it's talking strictly about evil desires. It's not. It's all desires. Look what he says. He says, um, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So here's where I'm getting the question that maybe you see on the title of of your notes there. What do you want? Talking about desire. Again, we're getting to the heart of it. So when we look at our neighbor, do we really want to serve them because we love them? So going back to Stephen's sermon last week, when we look at the world around us, the crowds around us, do we feel compassion? Now let's trace that affection or lack of affection back to its source. And here's the thing. What we'll discover is it's either the Spirit of God in us Stirring up flames of desire and compassion and love for them. Or it's our flesh that says, "Mm, don't really care. Don't really care about them. All I really care about is me. So let's get to the bottom. The Psalms talk a lot about uh, wanting God, about seeking God, about desiring God. Maybe you want (laughs) to... Uh, make a note of some of these. Psalm 119.10 says, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Is that the kind of prayer in your heart? Proverbs 8.17, the Lord responds to that kind of prayer with this promise. He says, I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. Matthew 5, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about our appetite, our desire. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Do you have an appetite, a hunger for righteousness? Another one that comes to my mind is Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. I love this. There's a beautiful song 
written based on this psalm, but it says, As the deer pants for flowing streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Listen to those words. I mean, it's talking about a hunger, a thirst, an appetite, a desire for God. Reminds me of a story. A young man went to an older, wiser man uh, one day. The, 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 the guy's out fishing by the, by the lake, and he's a man, he's just full of wisdom. He walks with the Lord. This young man uh, comes to him. He, he admired him so much and admired and respected his relationship with God. He came to him there right beside the lake, and he, he said, uh, I would, I would love if you would disciple me and show me how to have a relationship with God like you have. And the older, wiser man looked at him and said, How bad do you want God? How desperate are you? The young man thought for a moment, was thinking about what was the right way to answer this question. And before he could get his words out, the older guy took him by the neck and pushed his head under the water. At the, in the lake and held him down underwater he's just bubbling he's, he's flailing his arms trying to get the guy's hand off his neck the old man's holding him under bubbling bubbling, bubbling. he pulls him up out of the water and the, the young man's like what are you what the heck man what was that about and he said to him when you want God as bad as you wanted that breath come back and see me Listen to the psalmist again. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you. The question I want to ask us is how badly do we want God? How desperate are we for God? Are we as desperate as we are for our next breath? Do you want God? What do you want? A.W. Tozer is a famous preacher years gone by and he said this. Let this quote said on you. He said, you have as much of God as you want. What do you want? Jeremiah 29, 13, God promises to meet us in our desperation. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart. I wonder as we read um, what Jesus said in Matthew 5. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be satisfied in Matthew 5, 6. Um, It reminds me again of Psalm 34. This idea of taste, of an appetite. Psalm 34, verse 8. It says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, I used to spend summers with my grandfather and um, uh, when I was growing up. And, and my granddaddy Jack used to tell me we, we would sit down to a meal in the summer. And uh, we'd been working hard on uh, picking pecans or doing whatever around his property. And we'd come in and uh, my grandmother would have a, a cooked meal. And uh, we'd sit down to the table and on his plate he'd have like... Steamed carrots and black-eyed peas and mashed potatoes and ham and some something with gravy all over it. It's just that's the way it was. 
And uh, across from him, there I am with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And he'd look at me over that plate of steaming goodness and he'd say, Boy, you don't know what you're missing. I wonder if that's true for us spiritually. I wonder if we're settling for spiritual McNuggets, you know? That's what my kids do, right? McNuggets or whatever. Chicken nuggets. Are, are you settling for that when there's, a, there's a, a platter of beautiful goodness of God? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Nah, I'll take a PB&J. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. What C.S. Lewis is saying, we're just sitting there playing in the mud when the Lord is saying, come to the beautiful ocean and be with me. What do you want? We are free to love. We are free to love. First, to love God because He's first loved us. Then to love others. Thirdly, we are free from our old desires and our old passions. Our old desires and our old passions. We've been set free. The Gospel transforms your desire. I don't know if... If you feel this way, but as I'm reading through those scriptures and I'm convicted, I'm thinking, well, I do want God. But I, I kind of also want some of this other that's not good. I know it's not good. It's the same kind of feeling that I have when I've got like a, a good, healthy, good, healthy meal and I still want an oatmeal cream pie. I don't know if anybody resonates with that. I do want God like I know he's better, but there's something in me that's still Wants that garbage. I don't know why. Well, we are free from our old desires and our old passions. I want to talk to us for a minute about winning the war of desire. Winning the war of desire. This, this section of, of, of Galatians 5, he, he says, um, it is a war. You, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. This is a war. It's a battle. Paul writes about it here. and If you, if you go down to chapter 6, um, in verse 8 of, of chapter 6, he's going to say, For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. It just reminds me of the struggle of, of believers. You know, we, we are at war with our old flesh. The Spirit of God has come to live in sinful man. And so there's a war raging. I want to encourage you in how to win that battle quickly. Uh, look with me at Romans chapter 7 because... Paul's going to talk about that battle specifically in Romans 7. Let's just read a little bit of verse 15 and following. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. He says, this is the battle of what do you want, right? For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. 
Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I don't want is what I keep on doing. Anybody resonate with Paul? They struggle with some sin and just like, why do I keep doing this sin? I, why can I not stop? I know what's better. I've tasted and seen that he's good and I still go back to the garbage. Why am I struggling with this? Here's what Paul says. If I do, verse 20, if I do what I do not want, it's no, no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. He's like, here's the deal. When I want to do what's good, there comes the temptation. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. And here's the question. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Oh, here's good news. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the good news. Who can deliver you from you? Jesus Christ can deliver you from you. The gospel that you'll never add up, but he he already added up. He's already done the math, right? It is finished. The price for your sin, the purchase has been made. He's won the war, but stay in the fight. And the way we stay in the fight is we continually look to Christ. We look to Christ. We rest in the hope of Christ. Um, Let me illustrate this quickly and we'll be finished. Uh, A couple of years ago, I was walking with a guy who um, was struggling with a meth addiction. And we had, we had talked a lot, Blake and I, we, we, we talked a lot about his struggle. We just spent a lot of time together. And uh, one night he sent me a text. He was like, man, we are freezing. The power's off in our house. We, we haven't paid the bill. Everybody's freezing. It was dead of winter. He was like, do you think you could bring me some kind of heat source? And I knew, I knew they're using their heat source to cook meth. Like, I knew that. This is in the middle of the night. Lauren, I woke Lauren up. We talked about it, prayed about it. What do we do? So I ended up going to get a little propane heater and one that's safe for indoors and took it over. We stood in, his, uh, in the road outside his house talking a lot. And you know what we ended up talking about? Desire. Because Blake stood there and, and what he said to me, he, he said, man, I know I, I, know I struggle with this addiction. I, I know. I, I, but I'm really a good person. I just I have this problem. I said, Blake, I hear you, man. I have sin issues too. I struggle too. And I said, but I, I need to ask you a question, man. What do you really want? Like down deep. What do you really desire? Because here's the truth, man. You either... You either... Love your sinful pleasure. Truly, this is what you desire. But you feel some moral 
cultural standard compulsion to God to behave a certain way, to not do drugs, to not smoke, to not drink, whatever. All those, this moral obligation is over there looking at you, telling you you're not a good person. And you, you really love your sin and pleasure, but, but there's this moral sense of duty that's constantly pulling you back, a guilt, like you need to, you need to live this way. But you really in your heart desire these things. It's either that or you really desire God. Like the Apostle Paul here in Romans 7. You, really, you, you know He's good. You've been with Him. You've got a relationship with God. But there's this sinful thing that just keeps, just keeps getting you. But this is your heart's desire because you've been given a new heart. Because you've received the love of God. You love God. But there's this pull back to the flesh. And it's really one of the two for all of us. It's either we genuinely love our life, our sin, our stuff, our possession. We really love this stuff, but there's like a sense of obligation to God. We want to try to, you know, toss Him a token every now and then, make sure, you know, reputation's okay. Or the opposite. You genuinely want God, but there's a struggle with sin. So two ways I think we should respond today. I think we should think about what A.W. Tozer said to us. That quote has just been drilling in my heart all week. It's, It's been telling me that I have a weak appetite for the deeper things of God. That I've been indulging too much on on spiritual McNuggets and Krispy Kreme and junk food. That I don't have a good appetite for the Lord. Like I've tasted. I know He's good. But I just keep eating the garbage. And when He says come to the table. I'm like "Mm, I'm kind of full. I'm kind of full. It's been a huge source of conviction. And some restoration for me this week. And maybe that's where you are. Like maybe you're hearing that. And you're going what do I really want? I have as much of God as I want. So I want to encourage you this morning. Christ came to set you free. You are free to love because you've been loved in Christ. So surrender that. Confess that as the sin it is. Repent of that sin and just walk with the Lord. That's the first thing. Secondly, maybe you're over here on this side. And you're looking deep at your own heart, your own desire. And you're like, actually, I, I actually really love my sin. And I'm just sort of flipping a token to Jesus every now and then. And if that's you, I want you to know this. He came to rescue you. He came to rescue you through the cross. He bore the burden of your sin, the guilt of your sin, the weight of your sin, the power of your sin. It's all broken at the cross. He's welcoming you into a real joy. All that sinful pleasure is just shadows. It's just perversions of good gifts. But we have a giver who's genuinely good. And He really wants a relationship with you. So maybe for you today, you need to put your trust in Christ. To rest in Him. 
Learn to walk in faith. Pursue in love.